0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. I started this podcast for a very simple reason. You can find podcasts on pretty much any topic, but I wasn't aware of any that were focused on public service leaders. So rather than wait for somebody else to do it, I decided to give it a try. I wanted to give public service leaders a platform to tell their stories, to talk about the reforms and innovations they put in place, and to share lessons in leadership. I think this will be particularly interesting for current and future public service leaders, but a lot of the lessons are more broadly applicable. So I hope you enjoy it, and please remember to register on the website to never miss a future episode. Okay, this episode is with Andrew Burnell, who is the Chief Executive of City Healthcare Partnership. As the name suggests, this is an organization that delivers healthcare. It's based in Hull but also delivers services in East Riding and the Northwest of England and services cover everything from community care, care homes, pharmacies and primary care. I have to say I really enjoyed this interview. Andrew is an extremely authentic leader. In fact when we spoke he was in his nurse's uniform. He's a trained nurse and keeps up his practice. So being a chief executive of an organization as big as City Healthcare Partnership does not mean he's in a shirt and tie sat behind a desk. That's not the sort of leader he is. And we talk about that and you'll get a really good sense of the type of leadership and culture that he has instilled within City Healthcare Partnership. And this includes the importance of trust, the importance of being honest with people, and the real value of having a straight conversation. And we really get into what that means and how that as a discipline has been lost a little bit, we think. Andrew's organization is at the heart of the new integrated care system. And we talk about what that means, how that works, how the history of partnership around Hull has been really important in that. And finally, we talk about succession planning and how this is so important for an organization when you're trying to instill confidence in your staff team and with commissioners as well. So let's hear from Andrew. Andrew, a very warm welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I know that you're really busy at the minute and that we're still working very hard and recovering from COVID and I do appreciate you taking the time for this. Could I start by asking you just to say a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you, Andrew. Um, I'm Andrew
1: Pinnell. I'm the Group Chief Exec of uh, City Healthcare Partnership, CIC. Uh, we're an organisation that um, spun out under the Right to Request scheme way back uh, when, in about 2010. We were the first to spin out. Prior to that, we were part of a pilot study to look at whether this would be a viable option for um, parts of the healthcare service to sort of like become different types of organisations to tackle some of the Interestingly, some of the challenges that the government uh, want the NHS to tackle now, which was how do you get into, how do you actually sort of like weave yourself into the uh, the fabric of communities, of populations? How can uh, parts of the NHS that deal with more vulnerable or maybe um, especially community services could um, maybe form different types of organisations? Patricia Hewitt, who was a Secretary of State at the time, very interested in social enterprise and their their impact that they were having on, say, uh, people with substance misuse, uh, you know, homeless travellers, etc. So basically, we took the idea. Back then, we we've been on that journey since about 2006 when Commissioner Patient Led NHS came along. Right to request supercharged that, did a lot of work on with the policy people to get us out. So uh, basically, Andrew, we left we left at about 47 million with 1,200 staff. We're now a group. Uh, organization. We've we've made a number of acquisitions along the way, care home business, primary care business. Uh, We've got an estates business. We run uh, a series of high street pharmacies. We've got a uh, domiciliary home care business now. And we really sort of like coming and topping after 11 years this year in June of being out of around about 128, 130 million. And we've got about 2,300 staff providing services now both health and care services across all East Riding, but also in the northwest, uh, in 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 the likes of St Helens
0: and Knowsley. Um, That's really Im- impressive growth in that period. You mentioned right to request. Just so people know, that was a government program. I mean, I guess it, it, this must be around three or four NHS reorganizations ago yeah. when they were. Separating provider and commissioner arms in primary care trusts was not that it.
1: Basically, I think the government thought that um, primary care trusts, both as commissioners and providers, weren't a good idea, and that actually commissioners should focus on commissioning and that uh, become what was now what was then classed as powerful commissioners. Uh, or world-class powerful commissioners uh, and that really at the end of the day they shouldn't be meddling about in um, you know things like health visiting district nursing and other such gubbins uh, and that those sort of organized those sort of like services could just go anywhere basically so they they left a little bit of a door open there for the likes of me and my colleagues which was actually what do you want to do and um you know in our area there were like three choices one was to go back to the the foundation mental health trust where i'd actually worked Previously in my 19, uh, when I started in uh, in uh, PC, uh, West Hull PCT to bring services out of the community trust into the PCT uh, was to either send them back there or just, uh, you know, subsume them into the acute trust. The complexities about going into local authority or the other option being just privatise them to Virgin. Um, so we decided to um, take some self-determination in mind and and lead a process from a staff point of view and a colleague point of view created a out you know business cases and outline business cases and got it all through the processes that took um, a good number of years to get there but yeah it was capitalizing on that policy basically um and and creating there was just a there was just a, a meeting of tides at the time where you could think that yeah. all the policies are starting to align to say that all the policy writers and all the uh all all, all those in central government had really understood what this meant was uh really quite bereft so um you know the dh set up a social enterprise unit which really sort of like worked with the likes of me um you know like the likes of john nyland down in um yeah 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 provide which was something before that Uh, and then and medway with martin and others and and siobhan and and, and Central Surrey Health and that, but they'd already gone. So basically, yeah, it was that bit. It was about, like, is can this work? Can you do something different? And we chose a model which was uh, a CIC, which for us seemed to be a blend of, uh, it does what it says on the tin, Community Interest Company, uses its profits to better both the communities in which it provides services, the staff and the services that it provides by inwardly investing, not paying shareholders who might live off uh, in Necker Island, uh, or um or big you know who don't pay tax uh and and actually we do pay tax and we pay corporation tax and and all that other all gubbins and all that everything that we make goes back into communities in which we like I say we provide we also you know have a very active program of staff development of opportunity development and 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 also sort of like service investment as well we don't go cap in and to the NHS yeah. all the time for capital money or for money we just generate it ourselves and and do that and get on with the business really.
0: So just from listening to you I'm getting an idea already of how you manage to engage with staff on this because for a lot of staff who joined the NHS and want to work in the NHS, this probably felt like a bit of a threat or a bit of a, I I mean, almost a betrayal of what they joined, moving to something that is in some way independent. So, I mean, you've already started to explain, I think, how you, you engage with staff on this, but how did you get staff on board? I, I think other you should be over. I mean, if you I've
1: said this many a time on many a platform, if you cut me through and through, if you cut me in half, it'd say NHS. You know, don't get me wrong. I trained man and boy I, from uh, from an early age of being a young bloke uh, as a nurse. You know, so uh, hence why I the uniform because I'm in clinical practice at the moment. The point of view being is that I started as an RGN, you know, uh, I, I, I worked all, you know, most of my career. Uh, in what would have been NHS services um, I, and likewise all my colleagues at the time you know and it did take a hell of a lot of effort but also a hell of a lot of uh, not, not like persuasion but just really sort of like a, a, a massive amount of groundwork a massive amount of engagement and a massive amount of bringing people along with you and inclusion as well and and, and the model that we proposed at the time was this co-ownership model which is quite you know i I mean i didn't know anything about it i just thought what's the best way to get people more motivated that's to it's not it's sometimes not to incentivize them with money because when you go and ask your colleagues especially in this sort of field health and care a lot of people aren't incentivized by money they're incentivized by inclusion but they're also incentivized by like having a say having choice ownership feeling like they feel part of something so we set the co-ownership up everybody pays a pound to be a shareholder and, you know, we've, we've had many a different way of trying to engage those shareholders in the business. And the articles are written in such a way that, you know, they do have a say. We can't sell the business without them. And, you know, it is about trying to create that collective approach to to not how you. You know, I, I always say co-ownership isn't co-management. Co-ownership is about understanding what the business is there for, what it runs for. How do I influence it? But also, how do I add ideas and create a culture which is about listening empathy you know engagement um like i've said but also taking on ideas experimenting and giving people that voice but also that real sort of flattening the hierarchy uh, down so that it, it isn't just about position and power it's about a jigsaw a mosaic yeah. everybody has a real important part so i think that actually selling that but also selling the notion that this is a model that isn't about is for profit, but it's for what I class for better profit. And what you do with that, I've once said at a, a meeting previously. There's thousands of entrepreneurs in the NHS, and there's thousands of entrepreneurs I work with. They're just all these flowers that have never been allowed to bloom because actually the ones that really bloom, the ones that will challenge a system, the ones that will actually say back chat, the ones who who maybe sort of like the system thinks are a bit of a pain in the butt. They're the ones who are actually your, your real champions and they're the ones who get behind it. So we have spent a long, long time creating a culture, creating a way of trying to work together, being very visible. Uh, a hell of a lot of my time and a hell of a lot of my colleagues time is spent talking to people um, through many different channels and, and, and really being visible, but also being having an open door. I mean, people say all these things, but you've actually got to live by it, you know, and it, it, it can yeah. be quite annoying and it. For other people, and it can actually sound like it's very hard to balance it, Andrew. But uh, uh, but but really, that, that that was the thing. It was about this company you own it. You're part of it. There's a f- psychological, physiological, f- psychological buy-in, but there's a social buy-in as well. And they like what we do, and and they like to be part of that. And we also fund them to do worthwhile projects, not just in this country, but abroad if they want to as well.
0: I mean, just for listeners, you mentioned there being in uniform. I mean, you would one would expect. Uh, the chief executive of a group the size of your organization to maybe be in a suit but I just for people who obviously won't be able to see you you're in a city healthcare partnership uniform and that speaks a lot to what you're trying to create in terms of being approachable and open door I would imagine.
1: Yes it's all well there's a necessity I have I, kept up clinical practice for as, as much as I can. So okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, well only because I mean, so it's really interesting because some of my colleagues I've been working with in the flu vaccination mass vaccination centre, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the, some of the, some of my nursing colleagues, you know, they they, they really do appreciate it, they do like it, they they feel it's, um, I mean, one or two of them have said like, you know, well, this is our chief exec to the to the. to to the patients who are coming in. And, um, you know, this is really good because if he asks us to do anything, he knows that he'll, like, he he will only do it because he knows he can do it himself. Yeah. Uh, And and it's that, that, that's that element of, uh, of, of, yeah, not just all hands to the pumps, but being real as well, Andrew, you know, I mean, um, I think we can sit too long behind suits, but really, you know, the roots of understanding not just your organisation but your people within it is, is to get deep down and dirty with them a bit, you know, like oh, you I, I, what they're doing and what the challenges they're facing on a day-to-day basis. And um, I, I also find it as chief exec, you know, and there's plenty on your plate, you've got to sort of like really, you know, you've really got to manage your things. But, I mean, actually, I think if anybody looked at the diary and thought about how many actually rubbish meetings they went to um, and meetings that don't really have any outcome, that maybe affects what they're there for or affects whatever. And it's just more about posturing of people round the table. And um, and yes, I'd like to agree with what you said, but I've got nothing else to say. And oh, I'll have to come in now, um, you know, because actually I haven't said anything, but it's all and don't go anywhere. You don't leave with any outcomes and you don't leave with anything that's going to impact on patient care or, the system that's going to make things better. I I, I think, you know, that for me, my, I feel it much more valuable to to, to give some of that back into, uh, into, into supporting my colleagues. Um, I uh, think in, you're, you're um, exactly
0: right, Andrew. It's one of my bugbears that senior people in public services, you can never get a moment with them because they have back-to-back meetings about everything. And I think there's just this instinct sometimes that if even the smallest decision needs to be made, it needs an hour long meeting. And people just fill that time. So I I completely get your point there. And I think what you described there is a really authentic style of leadership where your team see you on the front line as well. And that is really important. And I think a lot of leaders these days have lost that connection to the front line staff. And you obviously haven't. I really do appreciate that. You mentioned vaccinations there. So obviously what we've been dealing with, over, you know, particularly you and your team and, and others like you have been dealing over the past year, is obviously COVID-19 and it will have had a huge impact on your services. So it's, it's hard to know where to start with this. But how has the past year been for you and your team? It might sound strange, this, Andrew, but rather interesting and
1: exciting, actually. Um, and it's been it's been very tiring. Uh, For everybody, it's been extremely stressful um, and uh, has consumed a hell of a lot of people, uh, of your time, not just mine, but everybody's. And um, it's been 24-7, 365. Do you know what I mean? It's always never off call, never never not sort of like picking up and dealing with issues, either them being nationally, national gubbins that isn't right or doesn't work and trying to sort of wrangle your way back to working out how... Uh, to try to get a trying to get a health national health service to think we deliver care which is a system not a service. That's I, I, you know you spend loads of time just trying to fight with with, yeah. with bureaucracy. Um, but no, it's been really challenging. It's been really exciting because because the majority of um, my um, senior executive colleagues and uh, and the organisation is very clinically led as well. I mean this is what we're trained for by the way, Andrew. You know like it's it's like um, yeah we we just go back into sort of like the nursing process which is really good cool. you know so like what's the problem and you know, i like um so what's the evaluation you know like what how, what's the assessment what's the evaluate you know and then you know constantly evaluating what you're doing altering it to make sure but at real at the core of it of everything has been the safety of patients um in a really Really, quite unprecedented times to start with, um, and then the safety of staff as well, of course, as, as an equal. And how do you 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 go from like you know oh, sh- uh, part of my French, but oh shit, this is starting, um, mm. and 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 I got a whiff of that when I. Came back from holiday that I, I thought this is going now, so I, I, I corraled my lot and said, "Look, this is going to go, you know, and this is going to go really big, and it's going to go like nothing we've ever seen before." So we, you know, uh, we're all this is back we, in March, or- yeah, back in March. You know, we're all lovey dovey. We don't like have hierarchy. So I said, "Look, you know, this is an unprecedented step for me, but." There's command and control now and, um, and the command and control is me and, and then this is it. And that's how we're going to work it. You need to go off. We need to get all the plans together about how we're going to structure this, how we're going to deliver. I'm going to work with the policy people to try and influence what we need to stop doing so that actually we can, we can just deliver safe, effective care. It's going to be all answer to the pumps. Nobody's, no, you know, job description out the window, um, where you, th- you might think you're strategic. Get lost. Um, You might think that oh, I don't do that because I'm this. No, you do whatever you you know. We do whatever we need to do. So you know, we did we did set structures in place. It is absolutely uh, fundamentally altered everything that we did you mentioned decision making um basically although there was command and control what was really interesting within that was um the ability for people just to be allowed to make decisions uh, and we've got and, and out of that you know people have just made you know because you've got to trust your people if you trust your people that nobody comes to work to try and do a bad job that's actually worked you know because actually they don't they want to make the job as best they can because they know they've got to look after people yeah. so actually most of them have made Absolutely, the right decisions and have gone on with it. And what they've done is they've made the decision, they've come back and then said, Look, what we've done is we've done this, this, and this, and this. And you're like, Absolutely fantastic, let's get on with it. How can we take that and move it somewhere else? So it's been extremely, um, it's been extremely um, a- a- interesting in terms of how that, as how the organization just flipped
0: um, very
1: quickly. Would you, Andrew, would, now. Uh,
0: would you have been able to flip it as quickly or successfully within the public sector?
1: I, I, I think in this case I think a lot of things um, I think oh, I think most organisations had to flip very quickly so I, I can't really see a distinction I think that the difference I, I suppose there may well be something in the difference of the motivation of staff um, across the board I think Andrew this has like really changed people's because we, we've got like two sides to our personality and then most of us would flip this comes into patient protection and this then becomes part of one's professional code and uh, it 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 sort of like alters the way. And and, and I think there's a lot of our that's the
0: same same across across
1: the board. We'll see that this is about public protection, you know, like about staff protection, making sure that, you know, we look after people the best we can. Whatever possible, making the right decisions to protect people, of course, some of those decisions as the wash comes down and we get down the way might actually have to be challenged or maybe we may challenge them. But you basically got to do the right things that you believe with years and years of experience. But, you know, what, what your listeners need to understand is that actually at the end of the day, right, there's nobody in the services in the years. I've done 35 years. Right. I've sat there on the I'm sat there on like, uh, you know, uh, with my lot going, um, look, don't look to me they like, i've never i have never been anything like this I mean I've done lots of like other things like an oil refinery goes up or whatever or some or there's a mass outbreak of this or whatever you know this is unprecedented so yeah. uh, we've been working for years on this thing called team of teams it's based on um general crystal's book um and yeah. and if you if you read that and you look at things about how did he how did he take structures that were very um siloed and then like unpick them and then put them back together so that really the overall focus was that you had a name you had a goal but everybody had a contribution we've been working on that previously for about the last year or so so it, it this just really accelerated that like we're all working together and we're all one we're one part of a real jigsaw and that is to get through this it's just it's just amazing because actually all that like all that stuff i've been working donkey's years to try and change overnight telemedicine telecare you know the use of this the use of like you know people thinking differently introducing rapid stuff rapid innovation around digital platforms and you know like and 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 consultation we 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 work with a local IT firm uh, in healthcare and produced a, a platform, a texting platform where patients would self assess themselves before the nurse would visit. And then we would, you know, we, we, we would go through a checklist with them and then that would be like a conversation on text. We would then stratify people and then we could sort of like look at how yeah. best to manage them if they needed it, you know, and if they had a bit of COVID, how, you know, if they had symptomology, how would we deal with it? So, it's just accelerated loads of stuff, you know, and then thinking in a completely out of the box way, and you know, it's just down the collective action of um, what I've noticed is just fantastic is the collective action of of all these two thousand so and.
0: Me, let me ask you about that specifically. I want to come back to just talk about general lessons learned, but you've mentioned innovation there, so I know from observing your organisation over the years the City Healthcare Partnership is a really innovative organisation. There's not afraid to try things and indeed for those things to fail as long as the lessons are learned. Um, How has this worked over COVID? Now you've already talked about some of the digital stuff but it'd be great just to get a few real examples of innovations that uh, you've been able, you've had the opportunity to to try, and these might be things that you've been trying to get implemented for years, but actually, this has provided the the perfect reason to put them in place. I think the um, I think some of the digital platform stuff
1: uh, has been really quite. What is that um, looking feel like? So digital platforms. Well, we've 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 sort of like supercharged, sort of like this sort of video consultation. We've uh, we've create we created different platforms of access through that sort of approach, not just into. Um, not just into primary care, but into the prison healthcare so that we can get access. Um, you know, um, teams just, teams just using Microsoft Teams or Zoom to start with to create, um, to create forums, uh, you know, actually picking up what, I mean, I know people use WhatsApp, but picking up WhatsApp and stuff like that and creating groups to discuss or just to really sort of like fly ideas around. Um, I think, I think it's just, I think, I think the, just the prime example is just the way that people have, People have changed. And when we did a snapshot survey in between about, you know, are you feeling stressed? Well, actually, no, I feel like I've got a better work life balance in the middle of all that. And it's yeah. like, well, why is that? Because actually, I, you know, I can work at home a bit. I have been given flexibility. I, you know, I can use the technology better. We're meeting as a team. We feel like, you know, we're having coffee. You know, by the end of it, people are having coffee mornings online like this, you know, type of thing. Yeah. To sort of like just touch base and have a bit of a, a a bit of a different type of banter than work, but it's just allowing that flexibility and then working with people to say right, what do we put back or what don't we put back? You know how um, how the teams work through the PPE fiasco. Have uh, been out here getting to where they were about the imagination used in terms of like trying to source things and finding little tiny businesses in the back streets of where our headquarter, our business support centre is that we're making ham gel and uh, you know and then yeah. delivering the thing. I just think people have just sort of like been imaginative, and I I think frontline staff have really. Done, you know, done as proud in terms of how they've managed to still consume, continue to see vulnerable patients in their own home at, at great risk to themselves, but but manage that risk in a way that still allows that frontline care. I mean, my my lot will say we never shut for business, and we didn't, you know. Like, I mean, whereas some did, we didn't, um, and we we had to carry on, but it was in a different way. I think the biggest ask, isn't it now, is how do you maintain some of that because. I think we were all alright. right six months in when we went into, after the first phase, that people were like, oh, I want to carry on with this. But because this has been a year-long thing now, where we're at now is that, some you know people are fed up. Actually, they just want to get back to seeing folk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they want to get back into a. I mean, I know I don't like lots of meetings, uh, but you know people want to actually just see face to face with somebody. Yeah, no,
0: we're okay. a, we're actually having a in uh, mutual ventures. We're having a face to face meeting on Friday, and I can't wait. We're we're going to. Yeah, it's
1: great. Well, we have I, one. I Our business, our company business meeting was actually face to face in a COVID safe way in a big room. And it was great. And a lot of, and most of the directors, a couple of colleagues turned around and said, like, I'm glad you suggested that
0: because yeah. it, we're just we're just losing something. So if, if I just ask, so the last year will have stress tested every organization. Are, are there things to do with your organization that the past year has highlighted for you that maybe it's something that you've learned that actually you need to strengthen within the organization or anything like that?
1: Yes. Uh, what it. What, what I think this COVID pandemic has done is that what's become noticeable after the first wave and even more so now, if you look at the business, is that a lot of, a lot of people that probably thought that they may carry on, uh, are, are like retiring and return and saying, I, I want to retire, I want to return, I want to, I, I want options, you know, like, I've, I've been through this, I've done so many years, I want to do so and so. I've been thinking about it previously and doing some research on how do you succession plan, how do, how does, how do successful organisations in the private sector maintain you know, good shareholder value, uh, keep the values online? And I think it's the same, but in a different way, is how do they not lose the confidence of the market? And if there's no market, but how do they keep the confidence of the commissioners? of, 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 their staff, their colleagues, you know, like, of, of the partners in the system, you know, because if you're a, you know, you know, if you've been around a long time like me and, and you know, you know, a lot of people, but also, you know, the area, you know, so and so, but the staff sort of like look to you as if like, well, you're, 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 you're it, you know, you're not going anywhere type of thing. And then you've got commissioners saying like, look, you know, what happens if anything, if you fell under a bus? Yeah. It, it, you know, how, how, how will the organization run? I, I keep saying the organization is bigger than just me. So before, prior to COVID, I was working on this notion about how do you succession plan? But I think COVID has accelerated that. And I think really at the end of the day, we really do need to, as, as, as a sector, look at, and I think also in, in a wider sense, look at, you know what are the leaders of the future um, and and how do you nurture them to bring them forward so i've got a 5 year succession plan you know we're putting in a lot of training and development for folk you know being flexible about re- retiring return you know actually trying to sort of like capitalize on the expertise and competency and people have lost people um Andrew, yeah. you know and people have lost friends um uh, people have lost colleagues um and um they've got colleagues that are really quite ill with long covid and things like that and i think they just think well I've done me thirty years. I've done me thirty-five years. I'll, I'll, I'll get going. I think. I just think it's a thing that we need to look at. You know, I keep saying to folk, look, I want to get in my car on my last day. I want to drive out the. I want to drive out the gates. I want everybody to feel happy, confident that the leadership is the best that they can get.
0: That this is going places. Those are really strong points, and I know because I know a lot of you personally that uh, we mentioned the right to request program earlier. A lot of the re- leaders that brought organizations out of the NHS into community interest companies, very strong personalities, and you needed to be in order to, to lead that. And I really, I think in my mind, if you look at other businesses, a really surprising number of you have stayed leading those businesses. So that thought of succession planning, I think, is really important because an organization can become built around the personality of its leader, which at the start... Is probably the right thing but i think your your description of how of how the organization has grown a personality of its own because you've empowered people um and let them influence the shape and culture of the organization in their own way in their own area i think starts to put the building blocks in place for for succession and means that when you go whatever way you go, hopefully retiring years from now, very happy, as you say, driving out, that everything kind of, kind of deal with that, really. You know, goodbye, Andrew, but we're actually fine, and we can yeah. continue. <laughs>
1: well, you're, I mean, I, I, think, I think this is part of the problem, isn't it, if you look at... I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I You know, you, you start of like thinking think to yourself, yeah, I've been around a while with this, and, and I think the reason for that is it's been so bloody exciting. Do you know what I mean? It's been so interesting. It's been so, it's been so, it's just, I often said to people, I came into the NHS to do right by people and to do a job that would be interesting, stimulating and, 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 you know, I I get bored dead quick. So, actually something that changes every day and you don't know what you're going into and it's exciting and, it, and it's it's interesting and you're working with really nice people that uh, are interesting they're all they're all different you work in an area that's got lots of challenges and it just keeps you on your toes i've never felt that every day is, any day has been boring and, and i've never felt well actually it's something that I need to give up because I need to actually, I need to my self-actualisation, you know. And, and, and there seems to be this thing, in, you know, the, the thing to be in the NHS is it, you've not reached your, you've not reached maturity or you're not, you've not done it unless you're a chief executive of an acute trust. Well, that's just like running McDonald's. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's, I know it's a bit more complicated, but like, uh, but, 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 it, but that's 4%. Of, of of all the, it's most of the spend of the NHS, but it's only four percent of what people see. The ninety six percent is what we do, and 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 it's just the people. That's why doing this immunisation stuff and getting back into you know getting right and right and broad in that like is uh, been absolutely liberating because it's yeah, been yeah. it's been with the people, seeing the people, understanding that a lot of the gubbings that we get involved in and a lot of the guff that we have to deal with, a lot of the bureaucracy and a lot of the the talk and the new management speak language and all that stuff right the runway and landing and you know where, you know oh jesus and it's like learning an old new getting an old new dictionary every time there's a new policy that comes out i think it doesn't mean a diddly squat Right. To the people that you actually do. All they want right. Right, is they want you as a professional to give them safe, effective and the best care that you can. And they want it to be done in an effective and efficient way. Yeah. And they want to be de- t- treated with dignity and respect. You know, and, 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 and we've lost sight of that. You know, like yeah. so contracting is all about KPIs and da-da-da. it's not about quality. It's not about safety. I think the policy the way it's going might overlook, or, you know, potentially has that bad abilities will overlook. Us, yeah. Given, given, given our flexibilities, you know, through COVID, one of the things I think that's been is our flexibility, and we're using that now to our benefit. Anchor institution stuff, you know, we already do that. We've done, yeah. for, we've done for ten years. Social accounts externally validated. I can demonstrate how much value and worth in pounds that I put back every year, year in and year out yeah. to voluntary groups, service, etc. And I think that you know, like and. It's that bit, isn't it, that the, the, the system thinks that big is beautiful. Everything should be centrally controlled. When actually, to think of system and think of population and to think of health need, you've got to really sort of like be right down deep and dirty with it. You've got to understand it, and you, you need, you know, when I was an health visitor, I used to see most of my clients of Chipping, top at rolling Middle, Miggy, and Leeds. You know, like because that's where they were. On a Friday, he went. And I hadn't seen him. they hadn't come to baby clinic. I knew where to find them. They'd be down at Chippy. They'd just and and you could sit outside with them and they're all like having a right laugh and a, you know chat on. But you, you you'd find out more about them, what were going on in life, and then then you could say right, I'll see you on Monday. You know, like better yeah. be in this town or I'm going to give you. I'm I'm, I'm I'll be, I won't be happy. He, he, he loses side because he just gets involved in all this rubbish.
0: So you mentioned there, Andrew, just the current reforms, risking. I think you put it as overlooking organisations like yours. So as this kind of hints at the fact that, as well as having a pandemic to deal with, there's also a major NHS reorganisation going on. So how how have you found that process and engaging in that?
1: Well, it, it's been um, it's been very interesting, Andrew. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you, you <laughs> to be successful in business, what you've learned is one's got to differentiate from the rest of the pack. But at the end of the day, now. You know, with with tendering sort of like probably taking a back seat with the Queen's speech and everything, much more about working a system and partners. You know, that's our philosophy anyway. We've always felt that we wanted to work with people in partnership to deliver better outcomes for patients and communities and populations. I hope that. Through I think people have got to spend quite a bit of time in that relationship building. I think one of the biggest things that we we started out with was that the relationships with the system system partners, our public, our patients, our service users and our colleagues is the real important thing and the, and the crux of where actually you can maintain your position. Uh, 10 years ago created a strategy called the weave, which said what we needed to do is, and it is actually a booklet that we produce, that we will become part of the space-time continuum of, of, of both Hull and East riding and everywhere we did. Because actually what it would be very difficult to unpick us. So it's like a carpet. If you unpick one strap, it's
0: it's really
1: unweave and then you've got real problems on your hand. So it was about how you stitch yourself into, to things. So it was, it was, it was was deliberate. And, and, you know, we've grown, so we're big. But I, I, but I don't think that's an issue. I think that, doesn't stop it. You know, the NHS thinking that wouldn't it be easy if there's just one organisation? Isn't it easier? But so what we've done is positioned ourselves to be within that, um, having a voice, pushing for a voice. I, I actually got asked to be the so sort of like temporary, you know, acting uh, executive lead for the STC uh, ICS, which I did for 12 months uh, and then worked in partnership with the new system lead who came in as the executive lead for a, for a period. I've taken up the um, I was asked if I would t- sort of like look at chairing and being the SRO for the uh, uh, the what were well, they as the out of hospital, but I classes the care health and care collaborative uh, across the ICS. I'm the Executive Lead for Health Inequalities. I'm joint chair for the Population Health and Prevention Board. I sit currently on the executive because of those 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 responsibilities. I'm part of the team, the small team that's looking at like the Anchor Institution network stuff, Andrew. So it's I think this is about circumstances change you've got to change yeah. rapidly and adapt to what you need to be and you need to be adaptable you need to get your board behind you very quickly you need to say right you're going to change your philosophy you're going to change your attitude and we're going to change the way that we um we're going to link in with this stuff uh, whether yeah. we like bits of it or not
0: you mentioned there about achieving outcomes for a population and about weaving yourself into the kind of fabric of of a place now place in vertical is becoming a really important concept in terms of of public service reform and how public services are are organized so what does the concept of place mean for you and your services and in terms of working with partners because there is a lot of talk about this at the minute but i'm finding it really difficult just i think a lot of people are to get their heads around what it really really means other than a really nice kind of concept
1: yeah well um i think we've been lucky we've had quite structured partnerships local partnerships at place for quite a while now um built up from many years of you know um Urban regeneration because Hull's been quite a uh, has always been quite a very sort of like urban deprived area you know so it has had investment throughout the years you know health action zone um, development in the communities blah 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 so actually at the end of the day we we we've we've always felt uh, uh, I think as providers locally we've always felt a sense of place it wasn't particularly called place it was called the Hull Pound it was been called you know like um, Hull Forward. You know, they and all these sort of things. So, I think as a, as as a player in that, we've always felt a strong um, affinity with with our partners, with our colleagues, and have always felt that the NHS hasn't just got the answers. You've got to work in partnership and use those partnerships for the the wider outcomes, determinants of health, etc. So, we're looking in some respects with with a strong partnership in Hull. We've developed that relationship more within East Riding. So, we do sit round on a regular basis with police. You know, university, with the local authority, with voluntary sector, with, uh, with health, with all partners in health, uh, with, and and, and that's grown and changed over the years. It's, it's morphed, it's become whatever. I think that what will happen now is that if, if more responsibility, accountability as CCGs move comes to place, you know, I think that relationship may change slightly if it's going to be uh, responsible and accountable for NHS money, say that will that will have to it'll have to evolve slightly differently, uh, may take up a slightly separate form. I, I still think, Andrew, there's a lot of things about how all that fits with health and wellbeing boards. What's their role? What do they do? Yeah. But we've always had a sense of place. Um, very strong across our patch. You know there's Navigo uh, and Care plus over there in North links they've got a very strong sense of place i think I think it comes out of adversity do you know what I mean and it comes out of the challenge of where you've been if everything's leafy and nice what's there's particularly no point is it but when it's like you know pretty like you know bit like the Wild Westing parts, you, you know that you, to meet your, what you need to do, you've got, you've definitely got to get go together with other people because they, yeah. you know, um, and, and whether that's just be on a practical level or a tactical level or just on an ops level, but but really uh, it's felt, and, and I think it, there is a big thing, Andrew, yeah, you're right, the place is the thing, we really do need to hold on to it because that's where it all starts. How do we engage primary care networks? How do we look at neighbourhood? How do we look at what people perceive as their place? But or how does that all that knit together to give you that structured look at um, how you're going to use population health, data management and agreement to really set some minimalistic targets that people have said they really want? And our success then is not just the individual organisation, but system. And that's why I think system is it's like, My organisation's success is the system's success.
0: Yes. You've touched on some of what I'm about to ask you here already, and it's quite clear that you have a very empowering culture within City Healthcare Partnership. I want to specifically ask about leadership and culture as it is an area of interest for listeners. So how would you describe your leadership approach? And like I said, you have touched on examples of this, but just to boil it down into a nutshell. If that's a mixed metaphor, isn't it? Well, yeah. In a nutshell, let's say it, in a nutshell, you, you don't have to boil it down. <laughs> that's very really difficult for me, as you know, Andrew, to boil anything <laughs>
1: down without waxing on a, a <laughs> great length about to nonsense. Um oh, well I I my, I I always go back to the I always go back to the thing. It, it's about being open, honest, uh being truthful, uh being lead by example, being um being visible. Um and Also, I think the honesty bit is really quite, is is really, has been quite, you know, somebody comes to you with an idea and says like, what do you think about that? I mean, I'll be very honest and say it's, it's crap. Um,
0: but can I just ask you about that, Andrew? Because I'm finding, sorry, I just want to really get into that bit because that's really important to me. I hope and I, I, I try and I hope that I am really straight with people, but I'm finding increasingly that that is a, it's a a kind of a, a a technique of engaging with people that's going out of fashion almost. Where it's it's almost the fashion now to to just kind of obfuscate and not quite speak mistruths, but just to avoid actually tackling the actual issue and just to kind of smooth it over and not quite. I I, I don't know whether you're finding that when you're engaging with people, but I'm struggling. I think I think, I think actually stepping back into the world of
1: the NHS through the SDPICS, you, you you see a lot of that, um, and 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 I've seen a lot of that in services that we've either acquired from the NHS or we've either won through tender. We spend a great deal of time clear, cleaning up the mess, and the mess is down to the fact that people won't be honest, won't be upfront with people, won't have the dialogue and conversation, and be really honest with them about what. And, and I take that from learning from others as well. And if you look at it, I mean, it's, it's a sad thing, Andrew, if it's going to be out of fashion, because actually most people really do appreciate it. Um, and that's come from years of learning, you know, I mean, being, you know, having been a manager in the NHS previously, having to sack people, you know, I mean, I always found it quite, um, quite an accolade if um, i I mean, it's terrible, but you know, you actually saw somebody, somebody, you know, you got somebody dismissed and they turned around you and you said, I'd just really like to thank you. Um, one for listening, two for being supportive, but three just for being really honest with me and yeah. um, and being yeah. upfront about this and just sort of like and they're not easy conversations. But you know yeah. when you come from a, when you come from a world like mine where you've had to tell parents that the the the, the, the child's got schizophrenia, you know, and and it probably isn't going to be very well for for the rest of the life, or I'm sorry, but your dad's died or your mum's passed away very quickly, or you know this has happened or this tragedy's happened, and you know I I, I always put my frame of mind back to that that, that, that there can't be anything harder than that. And there isn't, you know, but, but you're trained to do that. So why wouldn't, why, why as a manager wouldn't you just, uh, with a, with a fellow human being and a, and a colleague, have those conversations? I'm not saying that sometimes you, I, I, sometimes you, it's, it's where you frame those, Andrew, isn't it? It's the way you yeah. think about them. But actually, there's no point in skirting around an issue because it won't go away. And what I found is, if you skirt around stuff, brush it under the thing, it comes back and bites you on the bum. And when it does that, right, it comes it back and it's ten times worse. It you is. Know, so, and it's just about listening to people. People want, people do want to be, um, not everybody wants to hear it. Don't get me wrong. And people can get really upset, but I just, I just, I, I don't know. It, it'd be really sad if it is out, but, but I'm seeing a lot of it now. You know, I think no, you're right. I, I think agree. a lot of people are like, ooh, you know, skirt around the issue. Don't, don't tackle it. It might go away. Uh, my experience of all these years never goes away. In fact, it gets yeah. ten yeah. times worse. Uh, yeah. I, I, I have a saying, just, just to finish on, I saw so many, so many people's lovely careers ruined because the system wouldn't be honest with them and that you know that that might have been they were a fantastic nurse they were an absolute rubbish manager they were a terrible leader but they were a fantastic caring nurse we've put them into positions you know we haven't told them properly we haven't supported them properly and we're in a position where they're sat in front of you and you're like this is really tragic and i feel really really upset about it you know like what i don't want you to do is go away thinking that you are really really bad and i I think you've got to learn i just use all those experiences just to learn that like now don't ruin people.
0: The way it manifests itself that annoys me the most is when you know you get people promising to do things, either in response to a request from you or just off their own accord because they think it's what you want to hear. And then you know that they just are, you, you, you're then disappointed because they actually have no intention of doing it. But it got them through that meeting. It got them through that five minutes. So anyway, look, I'd... We're in complete agreement there, and hopefully, as, as you said, it's not out of fashion, fashion that kind of honesty, directness, etc. So, um, uh, Andrew, I've got one last question for you, and this is one that I ask uh, at the end of, of each of these interviews. So what bit of advice would you give to somebody working in public services who wants to make an impact in the way that you have? I well, could be very quick and straightforward on this one. That way, I'll, you don't have to be. But that'd
1: be well, I, I, just, I, I live by the maxim, and one of my colleagues said it to somebody. Said, uh, how, how, how did you actually get from there to actually spinning out and all that gubbins along the way, where people said, No, you can't do this, no, you can't do that? I said, like, Because basically, every time that she, she said, and I'm not going to steal it from her, Yvonne said, Because basically, when we heard no, we heard yes.
0: Who um, said, sorry, Who said this?
1: Uh, Yvonne, who used to be Yvonne, who used to work with me and worked with me for donkey's years. um, She said uh, basically she said to somebody who'd come to ask us about spinning out because they were trying to do the same thing. But they said they were facing lots of barriers. And she said, well, every time we every time somebody tells us, no, you can't do that. We actually hear, yes, we can do that. And and then like go away to try and work around how we are going to change. Well, we're not going to take that as being. So I just I just don't take no as the first don't take no as the first answer um and um and, and and basically be yourself and 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 live by live by your values and, and and put your values at the forefront of what you need to do and don't feel don't be afraid to to one think about what you need to say but then to which i don't do a lot of um why am i telling somebody that when i'm terrible at it uh, uh, but but you know some people need a script I, I could have a script i'll go off and do something else the point of view is i think it's like See what you've got in front of you. Cater it to what you need to do, but always sort of like put it in a way. And if you base that around what your true core values are, what you actually believe in, what you came into the job to do. Uh, and yeah, and take no as just somebody not really understanding. So that's why go away tickets. Yes. and Just keep going at it. Because at the end of the day, I think you, you know, you're there to do the right thing for the right reason, for the right people, for yourself, for your colleagues. There's nothing wrong with it. it. just it's frustrating. Just keep with the frustration and keep you know uh, you know, live the dream type thing or, I, I think you know, that keep the faith, you know. I like yeah,
0: yeah. I think that, that point about being values driven. I mean that a lot of people say that, but actually this links back to the previous conversation we had a, a few minutes ago about living by your values and putting those in place and sticking with them means that you need to have those Uncomfortable conversations, those honest conversations, and knowing that whilst that might be tactically awkward or uncomfortable in the short term, actually in the long term, it's all going to add up to a better outcome and a less damaging outcome for everybody because of that honesty up front and adherence to values. And it does create short term awkwardness, uncomfortableness, stress on on relationships but it's the only way to go
1: yeah oh totally and, and, and on top of that just to finish on is just take risk don't yeah. take risk that damages people but think about risk and then trying to mitigate it you're never going to get rid of everything everything's got a risk just but 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 you know sometimes you win sometimes you lose and if you lose just learn from it the, you know, there's no there's no real failure because failure should be converted into like what we learned from that. Every acquisition that we've done has been like a freaking nightmare, and the reason why it's been like that is that they are. Don't let anybody ever tell you that doing something like that is dead easy because it all looks good on paper in due diligence, but when you get into nooks and crannies of it and you start lifting up that carpet or you start looking behind a curtain. You're like, oh my god, you know, like, and, <laughs> um, and and just be prepared that a lot of this, if you want to make a change and you want to do something, is a lifelong ambition of 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 of, of fighting a fight. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. and 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 but always keep realistic, always keep calm. Don't get annoyed and just be uh, savvy to um, at what makes people tick.
0: Andrew, I've really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Andrew. Nice to talk to you, and I uh, hope it's useful. So I think this has probably been the most insightful conversation I've had in the Radical Reformers series in terms of what makes an organization live and breathe in an effective and sustainable way. There's so many things to pick out, but if I start with three, the first is trust, the importance of believing that your staff and your team are turning up to do a good job and to let people use their judgment and don't try to micromanage. The second is the importance of being honest and open. If something's not right, you need to address it. You don't sidestep issues in a conversation only to let them fester. It's really important to deal with things honestly, and people in the end appreciate that, even if it's a really tough subject. And then leading by example, in the war against COVID, Andrew has clearly been prepared to be on the front line and the staff team clearly appreciate that i also really enjoyed andrew's pushback against unnecessary meetings and unnecessary management speak if the whole idea of place-based partnerships which is a key part of the nhs white paper is to come into effect then more leaders need to have the same attitude as andrew has in terms of seeing it as a system not as just his own independent individual organization and he did talk a lot about how city healthcare partnership has stitched itself into the the system and hull and the other areas in which he operates as a place they've really become part of that and that is clearly something that's very important to them the success of city healthcare partnership is the success of the system So that's everything for this episode. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to register on the website and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to make sure you never miss a future episode.